now the recorder started. We're going to start in First Thessalonians 4. Before I get into that and before I pray, um, tonight was awesome. Uh, worship was awesome. Praying for people was awesome. Omer told me after we got done praying that he had been prayed for many, many a times and had never actually felt the heat of the Holy Spirit like touch him like it did. And he's constantly cold, literally 24-7. So the fact that he felt the Holy Spirit's like heat, that's a big deal. That's awesome. Um, the other thing um, that Omer really encouraged me with this week because he's been here, you know, he was here last week and he's been here a couple times before was that um, one of the things that he sees here in comparison to a lot of other places that he visits is everyone's involved in worship. Everybody gives their hearts in worship. Um, he's been a lot of he's been in a lot of places where people participate, but there's a difference between participating and actually worshiping with a heart of worship. And so, more than anything, I just want to encourage you guys with that because I think that's amazing. I think that's awesome. That's one things that one of the things that we've tried to cultivate here is not just like people participating in worship, but we actually have a culture that worships. Uh, and that's that's a big deal because um, there are plenty of people that listen to our podcast in order to try to get the breakthroughs that they need for their life. And they'll listen to it 10 to 15 times and they still don't get everything that we get. And the reason why that is, I think, a lot of times is because of our hearts to worship the Lord and to know Him. And then the other thing that I've noticed, too, is that, like, man, sometimes when we come in here in the very beginning, it, it almost, it, it doesn't feel like a strain. Like, it's not hard to open up to people, but, like, conversations take a little while to get going, you know. That's just kind of the natural flow, getting used to being in each other's presence. But then it's like, once the Spirit of the Lord hits during worship, I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but, like, once worship's over, it's like everybody wants to talk to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it's really hard to pull people in to start the teaching. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't, I don't want that to ever be anything that we, we forsake for the sake of someone being able to sit behind a podium and, and teach on something. You know, because one of the, the first two things that are mentioned in Acts when the church came together was they came together to worship the Lord, they gave themselves to the Lord, and then to, to fellowship with each other. And sometimes the best way to grow is to be in fellowship with each other because it reveals the parts of you that the enemy has influence over that you need to get rid of. Um, and it puts you in a community of people that helps you get rid of it. You know, so... I want to encourage you guys with that um, because tonight we're going to be talking about lust and sexual immorality. I know in the messages this week uh, we kind of we kind of teased it. We kind of left it open ended because we said we were going to start a series on covenant, um, and we thought that was going to be really prevalent. And tonight we're going to be talking about the counterfeit to that, uh, and it's it's a big deal. It's, it's something that a lot of people in the church. It's weird because like. I've met and heard and listened to more pastors that want to talk about how homosexuality and and uh, gender dysphoria and transgender people, they're in bigger sins, but they've got people within their own congregation that are stuck in sexual immorality and, and fornication and adultery, and they, like, won't address that. Um, and so this is kind of... Weird. Yeah, it's weird. It's super weird. But um, 
This is this is the identity house address to sexual immorality. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I I believe that the whole LGBTQ thing it, it's sin, but it's not sin that's that's a root, it's sin that's a fruit. It's it's mm-hmm. lust lust is never a root, it's a fruit. And yeah. when you start to walk in any type of sexual immorality, it's because of deep of deeper issues. Um and so I say that so that you guys know that, like, moving forward, because Richmond is the city that it is, if people come in who struggle with those things and they identify as that, we're not going to turn them away. And for the most part, I probably won't even touch those types of sins until they come to a deeper understanding of what roots might be underneath them. Um and that's just my heart. But uh, tonight, uh, the way that we have this lined up is that tonight I'm going to talk about the biggest counterfeit to covenant. And that is lust and sexual immorality. It might hurt a little bit in the beginning. It's going to feel really good at the end. Um, but then next week I'm going to talk about a friendship covenant and what that looks like. Probably going to reference David and Jonathan a lot and then examples from my own life. We're going to take a break on September 15th because that's the Out of the Darkness walk. And then that night we're going to be doing more of a worship night. We're going to take communion together again. And then um, we're going to leave it open for people who need prayer. And honestly, we haven't done a Q&A in a while about the past teachings that we've had. So on September 15th, if you remember hearing something over the past several months from one of our teachings, or you go back and you start re-listening to some of the teachings on iTunes or on SoundCloud, or you look over your notes and you realize you have questions, write them down so that when, when we get together on the 15th, after all the worship that we're going to do, if you got questions, let's let's talk about it. Let's have iron sharpening iron moments, because your guys' thoughts and opinions are just as important as mine, as Matt's, Savannah's, Kate's, Annie's, and Cameron's. Um, the week after that, I believe, is the 22nd. And on that night, Matt and Savannah, uh, and they might pull Kate and I in to help a little bit, they're going to be talking about, um, <laughs> I guess for lack of a better term, a biblical outline to like dating relationships. Mm. Um, and kind of help give you guys some guidelines, because I know that's kind of difficult to navigate through sometimes. Mm. And then a big deal, we have another announce, a big na- announcement next week, um, which is going to be great, but I didn't want to make that announcement without the entire leadership team being here. Because uh, it's going to be super cool. But then on the 29th, um, so just be ready for next week too. Um, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, don't, I just want you guys to, I, I want you guys to be ready. But then on the 29th, we're going to do a, um, a I call it a couple's breakfast. But anybody who wants to know more about Marriage Covenant and wants to glean can come. We're going to do like a breakfast with Karina and Brian Barton. Cameron Barton's parents, and um, if you have questions about marriage, write them down and bring them, Um, because they've been married for around 30 years, they've had five kids, they bring all of their kids here because they love us now, and they really love what we're doing as a church, and um, they want to be able to pour in, and you know, they're the couple that has been here, and has been married the longest, and so... Um, we thought what would be better than being able to talk to them and see what marriage life has been like over the past 30 years and have them to kind of talk about some of their worst times, some of their best times, how to keep marriage going. 
Um, and so I just want to encourage you guys, if you're in a relationship, if you're engaged, if you're married, if you're thinking about those things and just kind of want to be prepared for it later on in life, even if you are single um, and you don't want a relationship or marriage or even engagement to hit you like a ton of bricks because you just don't know anything, um, the 29th is a time for that. And on the night of the 29th, for our actual church service, I will be teaching on the biblical outline for a marriage covenant and what that means. Um, and that's not just going to be like a marriage covenant between a man and a woman, but I'm also going to work in a lot of how Jesus actually proposed to the church and his bride because it's awesome. But in order to see it, you have to know a little bit about um, the Hebrew marriage covenant back in the Old Testament. And I'm going to kind of lay that out for you too as we go along. So it's going to be a bigger meteor teaching um so after nine minutes of explaining that i'm going to pray now and we're going to jump into this thing if you guys are ready i've spilled coffee all over myself so dad i just thank you in jesus name that uh in your kingdom coffee flows like water and it's great and it tastes good and it tastes always tastes like pumpkin spice because that's what i like um <laughs> uh, And that I'm basic, and it's okay to be basic sometimes. (laughs) Uh, I thank you for everybody who's here tonight. I thank you that you brought people tonight who needed to be here. I thank you for whoever's going to be listening over the podcast. I pray this blesses them and that this gives um, just a great outline for things. So we just thank you, and we give you all the honor and glory and praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Uh, So disclaimer, now that I'm looking at my notes and I realize this, I... I've got the Greek definition, the biblical definition for lust here. I totally blanked on getting the definition for sexual immorality. So if you're wondering what that is later, um, we can dig. Maybe I'll have that prepared for the 15th. Um, But tonight we're going to be talking about sexual immorality and lust. Lust defined in the English dictionary. I found two definitions. Intense or unrestrained sexual craving or an overwhelming desire or craving. So lust in and of itself does not necessarily have to be sexual. And in fact, oftentimes when lust is brought up in the Bible, it's not even talking about sex. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. And yet in our culture, whenever we talk about lust, we think about lust, it's always a sexual thing. Mm -hmm. That just goes to show how how much the enemies perverted our minds and our hearts in this area. Right? Um, lust in and of itself on a basic stance actually has more to do with envy and jealousy than it does any other sin. Because to be envious and jealous of something, you have to lustfully crave after it or desire it even though it belongs to somebody else. So when when we think about lust, it's not just thou shall not commit adultery, but it's also thou shall not covet. Um, so when we get into the Greek, lust in the Greek is actually epithemio, and it means to have a desire for or lust after. But when you look at the root words, the, the first root word, epithio, if you guys want to look this up later in the Strong's, is G1937. Um, one of its root words is ipi, which is... G1909, and it means to look upon, on, at, by, or before. And 
thymos, which is G2372, which is, de- <laughs> I love this, is defined as a passion, anger, heat, glow, adore, the wine of passion, or inflaming wine, which either drives the drinker mad or kills him with its strength. I love Wes Montgomery. It's such a good song. <clears throat> so, looking deeper into this, thank you for giving it that, Hannah. Um, looking deeper into this, I actually found out that there was a root word for Thymios as well, which is Thio. And it's G2380 in the Strongs. And it means, get this, it means to sacrifice, immolate, slay, kill, or slaughter. Mm. So if we want to look at a full-scale definition of what lust is at a biblical level, and look at all the words that are involved in just this tiny four-letter word in the English, we can see that lust is a passion that comes upon people and drives them mad like wine to sacrifice either themselves or someone else. You think about lust, like when you're, when you're lusting after something, like really lusting after it, like sexually, you want it at all costs. I don't know if you guys have ever been caught in a moment like that, that's completely influenced by the enemy. But it's, it's awful, and you, you feel like you can't stop yourself. It's almost like somebody else takes over, and you're on autopilot. It's weird. Um, we see this over and over again when lust plays out. Lust cares nothing for people. All right, It just wants to sacrifice a person's purity for passion that is rooted in anger. Lust is not satisfied until purity is stolen, relationships are destroyed, and it kills our hopes for godly relationships in the future. Right? Because the enemy's kingdom comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Lust steals purity, it destroys relationships, and it kills our hopes for a godly relationship in the future. It's a triple threat. Um, Lust is destructive in nature and will drive a person mad. I've spoken to many people, <laughs> and even from my own experiences, with, especially with pornography, all right? Let's just be real. I, for Especially speaking to the guys in the room who've struggled with this in the past, my experience has been a lot of the times when I get deep enough into it, I'm on autopilot, and I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience, and I'm watching myself watch the pornography. And I don't snap back into it until after the deed is done. And I've masturbated. And then I feel guilty and ashamed. And one of the things that lust does is it tries to get you in a place where you're not thinking so that it can take over so that the guilt can come. It loves guilt. It loves to make you feel guilty and ashamed. Right? Yep. Um, I'm going to take all of your silence as you all know in what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, Romans 7.19 says, Paul says that, uh, I recognize that when I sin, it's no longer I that sin, but the sin that dwells within me. If you really study out the Bible and what it says about sin, it's, it talks about sin as if it's a living entity. Um, 
the enemy loves to come and get in your heart like that. So that you can't control yourself anymore so that he can control himself. So that, I'm sorry, so that he can control you. Um, this shows me that lust is indeed a spirit and something that needs to be needs to be fought. And I don't mean fought as in like you put up a fight. I'm going to talk about ways to, to get rid of lust later. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to explain this a little bit later on. But it's funny. Lust is actually the only sin in the Bible that Jesus repeatedly, repeat, repeatedly says run away from. Everything else he's like stand and fight. Here's the armor of God. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight with you. But lust, mm-mm, you yeah. best run. <laughs> you see it coming, you turn around. Amen. Um, which I think is funny. Let's go to uh, Proverbs 6 for a second. Well, actually, you guys stay in 1 Thessalonians because there's something I want you to see there. I'm going to flip to Proverbs once I can get it. And I'm going to read this to you real quick because this goes with my point. Gosh, why can't I get there? Bookmarks are getting in my way and I keep flipping to the bookmarks. Uh, um, Proverbs 6, verses 25 through 29 say, Lust not after her beauty in your heart, Lust not after her beauty in your heart, neither let her take you with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals, and his feet not be burned? So he that goes into his neighbor's wife, whosoever touches her, shall not be innocent." The thing about lust is that it's like a fire. It's all-consuming. It burns you up. Right? It's not good. So, let's let's really look at this for a second. Because we've defined it, right? We know what it does. But you might be asking yourself, why is lust a sin? I'll tell you why. Lust is a sin because sexual immorality hinders our relationship with God. Amen. When we give in to lust, we are telling God that He is not meeting our need to be loved and accepted. We are declaring that we would rather worship the body of another person and be their slave rather than being a slave to righteousness. When we give in to lust, our hearts are saying that we'd rather be unclean and unloving towards God, ourself, and others. We are telling God, that we are not satisfied with Him and that something else deserves our worship. We must become so satisfied with God's love that nothing else matters. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 27. Um, it says... Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Mm. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man, 
into birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the nature, change the natural use into that which is against the natural. And likewise also men, leaving the natural use of women, burned in their lust towards one another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to the reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, and whispers, backbiters, haters of God, spiteful, proud, boasters, invent inventors of evil things and disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable and unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they would commit such things are worthy of death, not only to the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Um, It's a lot. I think it's interesting... um, I had a conversation with somebody several months ago about lust and how they were struggling. And they told me that they always thought that lust, you know, especially if you were lusting after the one that you plan to get engaged to, you crossed those lines early, that it was kind of a, you know, it didn't matter once you were married and God would wash the slate clean. But it, it does matter. Amen. Yep. It does. Um, and in fact, I told you guys all to flip to First Thessalonians 4, um, verses 3 through 5. Amen say, for this is the will of God. Did you know it only in the in the New Testament especially it only references the will of God three or four times? Like what the perfect will of God is for somebody's life. Twice of which is in 1 Thessalonians. The first time it's here in 1 Thessalonians 4. The second time it's in 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, give thanks in every situation for this is the perfect will of God in Christ Jesus for your life. Sometimes you're in the right place at the right time following God's will, but the reason why it doesn't feel like you are is because you're just not thankful. Mm-hmm. However, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. So this is based on your sanctification too. This isn't just a, this is the will of God for my life and I definitely shouldn't do this. This, this is the will of God for your life, but it, also, it is also based, this, the basis for this overflows into all other areas of your life because sanctification has to do with your entire being. Mm-hmm. Spirit, soul, and body. Yep. Yeah. It has to do with the entire amount of your holiness. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concu- concupus. It's passion in the English. Not It's a big word. I can't say that. Uh, not in the lust of passion, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. When you give yourself over to sexual immorality and lust as a Christian, you act like somebody that is not saved. Um, 
When it comes to knowing God's will for your life, getting rid of lust and sexual immorality is at the top of the list. Amen. It's a big deal to God. It's a, and um, you might be wondering why it's a big deal. I'll show you. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6. Does anybody want to read this for me? 6 verses 13 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 13 through 20. Go for it. Meat for the belly, and the belly for meat, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God has both raised up the Lord, and will also raise us up by His own power. Know not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Show, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of the harlot? <laughs> what know you not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two says he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that is that a man does is without the body, but he that committed fornication sins against his own body. Do I, what was it again? 20. 20. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have, which you of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. All right, so let's let's break this down, okay? Um, in the beginning, in chapter thir- in verse thirteen, it says, "Meat is for the belly, and belly for meats." This food, your food is for your belly, mm. and your belly is for food. Mm. That's pretty easy, right? Because like, <laughs> you get hungry, what do you do? You eat, <laughs> right? Mind blowing. Um, but as you continue. It says, now the body is not for fornication. You might be wondering what fornication is. And I I will tell you right now. Fornication is any sexual act that you would commit outside of marriage. That is what the most basic definition of fornication is. So when this is talking about fornication, it means those of you who are not married yet, even even in engagements, okay, um, your body is not for fornication. So when you're single or you're dating or you're engaged, anytime you commit anything sexually, it's, it's an act of fornication. Mm. That means pornography. That means oral sex. Mm. That means home run. That means... What is a home run? Uh, you know, going all the way. Uh, I play baseball. I didn't know what that means. <laughs> um, oh, just okay. Sorry, got it. Like, let's just be open. All right, let's let's just be open and honest about this as a family. Okay, bring it in, bring it in. Let's stop giggling for a second. Let's really let's crack down on this thing because this is important. This is important because this is the will of God for your life. 
and He wants you to be sanctified. Mm -hmm. So this means fornication can be defined as any acts of pornography. And that doesn't just include watching videos. That means the smut that a lot of people like to buy that comes in books. Mm -hmm. That means audio books. That means, you know, probably fast forwarding through many of the scenes that happen in Game of Thrones. Okay? Uh, um, that means <laughs> that means no oral sex. That means no hand stuff. You know? That means you restrain, like, so where, where I'm at, the Bible doesn't necessarily say that kissing is or is not considered sexual. And in fact, it mean, uh, oftentimes it says, greet your brothers with a holy kiss. So I'm not going to tell you not to make out with, with your significant other. I'm going to tell you to be very careful about it mm. and don't use your hands mm. and don't let your hands go roaming. Mm. Don't touch men. Don't touch the lady's bottom. Don't let your hands roam to her chest. Mm. Don't get too antsy with your hands being on her legs or whatever. Like, be a gentleman. Mm -hmm. Okay? Um, because, and I say that because even though you may not necessarily mean for those touches to be sexual, they very quickly become that way. Very quickly. Okay? All of those things are fornication. All of them. The, the people used to say when I was in high school that uh, oral sex isn't real sex, but according to the Bible it is. Mm. Because oral sex happens in the Song of Solomon. But you wouldn't know that unless you go looking for it. Okay? It's there. All the sexual acts that God says this is okay to are in the Song of Solomon, but you have to really go looking for them. Those are more talks for another time. Because the Song of Solomon also says, do not awaken love until it's right time. Yes. And that means, don't do it until the wedding night. Mm. Well, why do you say that? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> don't you know that your body belongs to Christ? And when you sexually sin, it's not just a sin against the person you're having sex with, but it's a sin against yourself, is what the Bible says. Amen. We just read it. Not only that, but when you have sex... You create a covenant with somebody. And God cannot honor a covenant between two people in a sexual relationship unless marriage is involved. And so when you, when you create that type of relationship, you create a soul tie, an unhealthy soul tie. And what that means is, from personal experience, um, the first girlfriend that I ever had is the, the girlfriend... I lost my virginity too. Um, I'll be open and honest about this. And we ended up becoming obsessed with each other. Mm -hmm. We ended up becoming codependent. And I got over it much faster than she did. However, it was not a fun time. And science has proven recently that every time a woman sleeps with somebody, they retain a piece of that person's DNA inside of them the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. What? Yes, it is. It's bonkers. So when God created the marriage covenant, He said it is not right for man that man should be alone. He created a woman with a hymen. And I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the hymen inside a woman's vagina actually has no purpose scientifically. 
All right, let's let's stay adults for a second here. This is important. Okay, God designed the man to be the leader of his household and to be the high priest of the household. When the high priest goes into the holy place, he has to go through a veil. What is a hymen but a veil? To go into the holy of holies. The high priest is supposed to act as the covenant keeper with Israel in the Old Testament. When you break a hymen, there is a shedding of blood. Covenant only happens when blood is shed. So when it comes to sexual relationships and and making sure that you stay sexually moral and not immoral, the reason why God wants you to flee and stay away from these things is because your covenant with your spouse is dependent upon it. Amen. When it came time for Kate and I to, you know, make covenant, and even times after that, there are many a times, you know where my brain goes? It goes back to those first times that I had with my ex-girlfriend. I missed out on my first experience. Kate did not. Praise the Lord. She's amazing. The best, the best woman I've ever met in my life. She waited. And you know what? There are a lot of fun times that we get to have trying to figure things out and we get to laugh and giggle in the bedroom and it's awesome and it's great. However, there are a lot of first time experiences that I don't get to have with her because I already had them with somebody else. And that's not okay. Amen. I robbed myself and I robbed her of those experiences because she might have them from her perspective, but she sees me struggle with them a lot of times. She sees how like a lot of times I'll get down on myself when we're trying to do something. And there have been several times where we've started and we've had to completely stop because I just couldn't do it because I kept reliving things of my past. This is important. Covenant Covenant is a huge deal. It is something that God intended for us to keep forever and to never break. And there are specific things that He laid out in Scripture for, for those of us who want to dig deep enough so that we can see just how important it is. And we begin to see how important it is... It, if, we, if we've committed these mistakes in the past, it doesn't mean that we can go into guilt, okay? Because God forgives everything and He sets things new. And I've heard, I've even heard stories where um, people who lost their virginity before their wedding night, they've gone to their pastors and their leaders and they've confessed these things. And because their heart was right towards God, their leaders prayed for them and their, their, their hymen actually grew back. And it's, it's amazing. Like, I've heard so many stories about stuff like that. And so I don't, wanna, I don't want you guys to feel bad if you've messed up in the past. I don't want you to feel guilty or ashamed. I'm very passionate about this and I want you guys to get this because the things that I've gone through and the things that Kate and I have gone through and that she's had to help me through and like reassure me that she's not holding my past against me. I, I don't, I want you guys to go into covenant, especially marriage with a clean conscience. Amen. Okay. Little rant. Um, Good rant. Let's go to Deuteronomy. I say everything I wanted to say there. We're going to get back to this later, but if you pay attention to verse 18 for chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, it says flee fornication. And the word flee there means avoid or run away from. So don't fight it, run. We'll get to that later. Dude. 
Going back real far. Deuteronomy 22. <laughs> That's Transformers. Let's not let's not get weird about this. Uh, we're gonna start in verse 13. I want to read until the whole thing. <laughs> so verse 30. Um, I'm going to break this down for you guys so you guys can kind of see how God set this up a little bit. And some of the newer translations, this actually has um, a section that says like staying away from sexual immorality or laws about sex. It's kind of cool. I have a King James, so it doesn't say any of that. But as I was doing research, I thought that was really neat. Uh, Verse 13 says, If any man take a wife and go into her and ends up hating her or turns against her and gives occasions of speech against her and brings up an evil name upon her and says, I took this woman and when I came to her, I found her not a virgin. Then shall the father of the damsel and her mother take and bring forth the tokens of the damsel's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. And the damsel's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man as a wife, and he dislikes her and hates her. And lo, he has given occasions of speech against her, saying, I found not your daughter a virgin, and yet these are the tokens of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. And the elders of the city shall take the man and chastise him. And they shall uh, fine him a hundred shekels of silver and give them to the father of the damsel because he has brought an evil name upon a virgin of Israel. And she shall be his wife. And he may not divorce her all the days of his life. So let's talk about this for a second. from a modern day perspective, I've seen this play out in a friend's life where he uh, ended up having two children with his, his now wife before they were married. And then they got married. And even after they got married, he couldn't decide on whether or not he really loved her. And in some cases, he really disliked her. And the reason why they got married was because of the children. They just had their third child last year, and they're madly in love now. Mm. However, in this time period, it says that if a man hates his wife and brings up occasions of speech against her, which basically means if you don't like your wife and you walk around town talking about how much you don't like your wife and it causes her to have a bad name and for people to look down on her, you're in trouble. Um. As you continue to see throughout this, it says that a man who does that will be fined 100 shekels of silver. I went and did the research. 100 shekels of silver to this day is equivalent to $841.96. It's very specific. It is, isn't it? It's crazy. Um, I don't know about you, but that's a lot of money. Uh, And that racks up over time. And... Unfortunately, back then the matter could be settled and it could be just that amount of money. However, nowadays we don't live by the letter of the law, we live by the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law would state that the more you talk negatively about your wife, the more you suffer in your piggy bank. Amen. And so this friend of mine, for years, 
could not find a job to support his family and had to live off of food stamps because he didn't know how to love his wife and take care of her and speak positively about her. And I told him that. And then he said, you're right. I need to choose to love my wife and speak positively about her. So he went home. He confessed his love to his wife. He repented of speaking negatively about her to all of his friends. And a month later, he got a job that was able to support his family. And then a year later, he got a better job at the same company. And then three months after that, I think, he got a a job offer from a different company that was way more money. Amen. and in September, he's actually going to be taking over um, as the evangelist at a, at a church here in town. And it's great. It's awesome. It's crazy. The Lord's done so much with his life. However, in those years where he couldn't decide on whether or not he really loved his wife, let alone liked her, all their family did was struggle financially. And in case you guys were wondering, the reason why the father laid out the, uh, the cloth to prove... Uh, <laughs> that she was a virgin, the wedding night was because in ancient Hebrew culture, when you got married, you got married in front of everybody. The priest had to be there to signify that the marriage was of God. And then after that, you either went straight back into your house or oftentimes they had a marriage tent. And you went into the marriage tent and you made sure that that marriage was under God because marriage isn't technically under God until it's the priest signs off on it and then you go and you, you do the deed. Where you consummate and you, you break covenant. And they actually, in order to make sure that the, that the couple did what they were supposed to do, they had to bring out the sheet Amen. that they had sex on and show everybody that the covenant was made. That the hymen was broken. Yeah. It was an educational thing, too. No, it was. It's like, what is this? Yeah. It just goes to show how different... The culture was. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. With our culture, I, I guarantee you, every one of us is like, that is the weirdest thing Including myself. Alright, so let's move on, right? Um, verse 20 says, But if this thing be true, and the tokenness of virginity be not found for the damsel, then they shall bring out the damsel to the door of the father's house, and the men of the city stone her with stones, that she die, because she has wrought folly in Israel to play the whore in her father's house, so that you put evil away from among you. See, the thing about sexual immorality, and they, they stoned men for, for rape, raping women too. I'm going to get to that. A lot of people like will read verses like this, and they get the whole concept and... Um, time and place misconstrued. They don't do their research. They don't understand the context. The reason why this happened is because sin in the Old Testament defiled absolutely. And so uh, she lied to everyone about her virginity. The reason why movements like Monus is the hottest and save yourself for the perfect person, the reason why these things are so big in Christian cultures is because, and we've made a mockery to, to it to some degree, but um, who you are, your sexuality is worth something. Amen. And when, like I said, especially when you're a woman, when you continue to give yourself to multiple partners, you carry them with you the rest of your life. Biologically, science is just now proving this. So because she lied about who she was and what she was, not just to her spouse, but to her father, it was a covering issue. 
Because until a woman moves out of her father's house or until she becomes married, she is under her father's covering. She's under her father's protection. And it's, it's, a, it's a disgrace when you lie about things and your father's trying to protect you and then all of a sudden, or your husband's trying to protect you, and all of a sudden they find out that you are the liar. You, you become uncovered at that point. You can't be protected because anybody that could have protected you can't anymore because you just got found out, Right? And of course, we, we, don't, we don't live by the letter of the law anymore, obviously, but God set this up because he knew how these things were, were going to happen. I mean, how many of you guys have lied your butt off in order to try to protect yourself because other people wanted to protect you, and then you got found out? And it feels like you just died inside. Mm-hmm. And everyone around you is throwing stones. It's the same principle, only this is centered around sex. Right? Um... If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, then they shall both die. Both man and the woman. And the woman, um, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman that lay with the man, so that you should put away the evil from Israel. So people cheating on each other and committing adultery, they they dead. They were they, they dead. In fact, in, in the Old Testament, um, and even in the New Testament, the only biblical reason for divorce is adultery. So if you find out that your wife is cheating on you, it's okay to say you're dead to me. Obviously, you have to get rid of the bitterness, but like that relationship is completely dead. You can stone it into the... Legally speaking, you can stone it into the ground if you want to. However, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So I would, before you do that, because marriage is God's idea and there's covenant there, I recommend... You get some counseling. You try to figure it out first. Because chances are, if your wife's cheating on you, it's not just because of her. You messed up too. Amen. Yep. So, personally, never mind. We'll get to that when we get to the marriage thing. Um, let's. We're, we're talking about sex and stuff. And I'm already 45 minutes into this. And I got a lot of time that I need to make up. Um, so then if you shall bring them out to the gate in the city, you stone them. Um, you shall stone them with stones that they die. And the damsel, because she she did not... Oh, I messed up. I started the wrong verse. Verse 23. If a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed to a husband, and a man find her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate, and you shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel, because she did not cry out being in the city, and the man, because... He has humbled his neighbor's wife, so you shall put away evil from among you. So this is talking about rape in this instance, okay? Like, when you lived in a big enough city in ancient Israel, and a man tried to force himself on you, you were obligated to yell out because... In ancient cities like that, everyone walked everywhere and the streets were never barren. Somebody was going to be obligated to help you because of the Ten Commandments and because of the laws God set up before this. So this is under the pretense that a man came to a woman and said, hey, let's have sex. And she said, okay, but it was unlawful. She was already betrothed to somebody else. Hit my mic. She was already betrothed to somebody else. So she ends up cheating on him and giving herself to somebody else. So, because of this, all kinds of covenants are broken, which I'll explain later on when we get to the marriage covenant. Um, So they both died. But if a man find a betrothed damsel in the field, and the man force her and lay with her, 
Then the man only uh, that lie with her shall die, but to the damsel you shall do nothing. There is in the damsel no sin worthy of death. For as when a man rises against his neighbor and slays him, even so in this matter. For he found her in a field, and the betrothed damsel cried, and there was none to save her. So in this case, if a man tries to rape a woman in a field where there is no one to save her, She is not responsible at all. He is, and he dies. It's crazy, right? Did you know in other cultures around this time, because I know a lot of people who try to like say that this isn't feministic enough for them, other cultures in this time period, if someone was raped, men could do whatever they wanted. Raping and pillaging was an average thing. Study Viking culture, which was right around the same time. Men were allowed to do whatever they want. And it's disgusting because God has set up parameters so that men wouldn't mess up. And when another man does mess up, God says, the men of this city will save you if you cry out. There was an obligation there. It's important. It's important that we know these things. And it's important that we look out for our brothers and sisters. Right? Um, If a man find a damsel that is a virgin, which is not betrothed, and lay with her, lay hold on her, and lie with her, and they be found, then that man that lie with her shall give the damsel's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife. Because he has humbled her, he may not put her away in all of his days. The man shall not take his father's wife, nor discover his father's uh, skirt. So this is saying, if you find a virgin and you decide that you want to lay with her and you do, and you're found out, then and she's not betrothed to somebody else, then she's your wife now. You have to take care of her. So on a man's side of things, this is why men play child support and women don't, by the way. Yeah. Right? Spiritually speaking, God saw this happening. Well, that's just a lot of they don't count. They're not real people. <laughs> uh, so here's here's the thing. Fifty shekels of silver is equivalent to four hundred and twenty dollars and ninety eight cents. Which, when you think about it, like that's still a lot of money. But I mean, in this day and age, you could you could rent a prostitute for less than that, and you wouldn't be found out. So. It's a little weird. I'm not saying go do that. That's far from what I'm saying. Like, but th- thinking about things in that perspective, like this guy screwed up real bad. Um, don't do either of those things. Find a woman that you love and treat her with love and respect and marry her. Amen. Um, and then make an honest woman of her. Don't don't get weird about it. So I'm gonna stop. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking about that now, just so that I don't dig myself a hole. Because I know I'll keep talking. And trying to explain myself out of things, and then it just, I'll explain myself deeper into things, and it just won't be good. So, we're gonna go to Leviticus 18 real quick. Hating all the fun Bible books. Oh, yeah. This is pretty straightforward, um, so I'm just gonna read through it. And the Lord said to Moses, 18 verse what? Chapter 1, or verse 1, I'm sorry. Okay. Chapter 18, verse 1. Um, 
if you guys see the Lord right there, where it says the Lord spoke to Moses, if in your Bible, Lord is completely capitalized all the way through, Jesus is the Lord of Lords. Lord God. It's kind of important. Because Jesus is the Word. So, commandments. Um, It's another thing. So this is Jesus talking, it's not the Father. It says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the lands in Egypt wherein you dwelt, shall you not do. And after the doings in the lands of Canaan where I bring you, you shall not do. Neither shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall do my judgments and keep my ordinances and walk therein, for I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them, for I am the Lord thy God. None of you shall approach any that is in near that is near of kin to him and uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother shall you not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. Uncover. It is your it is your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, or the daughter of your mother, whether she be born at home or born abroad, even their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, even their nakedness you shall not uncover, for theirs is your own nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten of your father, she is your sister. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is your father's near kinswoman. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is your mother's kinswoman. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. It's getting weird now. Uh, I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> of your of your father's brother, you shall not approach to his wife. She is your aunt. Uh, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. Neither shall you take... Her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness, for they are her kinswoman. It is wickedness. Neither shall you take a wife to her sister to vex her, to uncover her nakedness besides the other in her lifetime. And you shall not approach to a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is put apart for her uncleanness. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her, and you shall not let any of your seed pass through the fire of Molech, neither shall you profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with mankind as with womankind, for it is an abomination. Neither shall you lie with a beast to defile yourself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion or perversion is, is another word there that's for that. Uh, defile not yourselves in any of these things, for if these... The nations are defiled, which I cast out before you, and the land is defiled. Therefore, I do not visit the iniquity there, 
of upon it, and the land itself vomits out her inhabitants. Her inhabitants. Uh, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourns among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. That the land spew not you out also, when you defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore, you shall keep my ordinances, that you commit not any one of these abomination, abominable customs, which were committed before you, that you defile not yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God. So let's break this down really quick. Don't sleep with anyone in your family, even if they're not blood related to you, because it's bad. <laughs> I okay. So the reason why I say this, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but like uh, stepsister and stepmother and stepbrother porn is one of the biggest uh, subgenres of pornography right now. It's huge and it's weird. Good top search result in many states. Weird. Again, God foresaw things and was like, hey, don't do this. Just in case you were wondering. I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember a time where we used to make fun of, like, people who lived in the backwoods for mating with their own family. And now people just want to mate with their own family through pornography. And it's really weird. And I don't get it. Yeah. Super weird, right? Um, there's one thing I want you to catch here. In verse 21, it says, And you shall not any, you shall not let any of your seed pass through the fires of yeah, Molech. Um, the word seed there means offspring. Molech was a Canaanite god. And in order to, sac- or in order to worship this god, you had to kill your sons and daughters. Oh. Throw them into the fire. So this is one of the verses when Christians say abortion is bad. This is one of the, uh, the verses that talks about this. Because when you kill babies... It's bad. If you want to get deeper into this conversation, we can. Um, if you just want to call a fetus a fetus, that's fine. If you study out fetus, it's Latin, and it means baby. So even when you call a, a, an unborn baby a fetus, you're still calling it a baby. It's still a human being. Don't do it. Let's figure out something better, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and this, it also goes into... Homosexuality, which we saw, we saw sleeping with animals, bestiality, bestiality, things like that. It's all bad. Don't do it. Um, I think it's funny. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's funny. It's a very serious matter. It's very interesting that when the council met in the book of Acts and said, "Hey, there are a bunch of things that the Gentiles don't have to do, but the one thing that they do have to do is live up to our our code on sexuality." So here's the biblical code, code for sexuality in all these verses that we've talked about so far. And so even if people want to try to rationalize the New Testament and take it and twist it and say that because people were Gentiles, they didn't have to live underneath those codes and that homosexuality is okay, it's still not okay when you study it out. Okay, that's not to make anybody who struggles with anything like that feel bad. That's not what I'm saying. The whole point of this is like to cover sexual immorality as a whole, um, and it, it is a it is a sexual immoral immoral thing to do according to scripture. Okay, that's that's all I'm saying. 
Um, so, good. Wow. Gone through all of that. There are two types of main lusts in the Bible in the New Testament, according to 1 John 2.16. And uh, 1 John 2.16 identifies them as the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh can be defined as uh, the temptation to feel physical pleasure from some sinful activity or to do something to make your body feel satisfied. It can involve any number of sinful activities that will b- bring pleasure to your body. Um, in first, or not in first, in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, it's a prime example of this. This is a list of adultery, um, selfishness, Fornication, lewdness, sorcery, outbursts of wrath, dissensions, murders, drunkenness and revelries, and lust for power. All of these things can be considered lusts of the flesh because when we participate in these things, it makes our bodies feel some sort of way. Right? Um, Adultery, Exodus 20 verse 14 says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. This is for married couples only. Adultery. Adultery in, um, is when you, you're married and you cheat on your wife. Okay? And you might think to yourself, well, but I've never actually done anything with anybody else. Well, yeah, but if you watch pornography, you're cheating on your wife. Mm-hmm. Like, it is what it is. So... Um, <laughs> You may not watch pornography and you may not be cheating on your wife physically, but if you're sitting at the office too long and you're hanging out with a girl that you think is cute and for some reason you guys start forming a connection, you can be committing emotional adultery with this woman. And you know what emotional adultery does? Eventually it leads to physical adultery. Right? Right? Hebrews 13 verse 4 says that the marriage bed shall not be defiled. That verse does not mean you get to do what you want. (laughs) That does not mean sodomy. Sodomy is bad. (laughs) Don't do sodomy. It's an exit, not an entrance. Okay? (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) Um, Or do it and when we get to the white hot throne of judgment at the end, we'll just see what happens. That's fine. I'm not going to interpret it the way you want. Okay? I'll just leave it at that. Um, Selfishness can be defined as a carnal sex drive, and this is also for married couples only. There can still be lust within the confines of marriage. If you take on lust long enough, it will defile your marriage. We were never supposed to be selfish in acts of sex. All right? We were never meant to have a carnal sex drive, but a divinely appointed love drive to meet the needs of our spouse. That's why in 1 Corinthians 7, it says, your body is no longer your own, but your spouse's. And the only reason you should ever separate is for a designated time for prayer and fasting. It is sexually immoral to withhold sex from your spouse when they want it or need it. Unless under special circumstances. Sorry, I don't know why I'm this. Like, let's just be honest. Like, some people use sex as a form of control. That is sexually immoral, and it's manipulation. It's not okay. I save them. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm an hour into this already, and we got, I, got, I still got a lot of cover, lot, lots of cover. So anyway, um, again, two weeks, September 15th. If you've got questions, please write them down, and we'll talk about it then. Um, fornication, we've already talked about this. This includes sex before marriage, pornography, and masturbation. Lewdness. Lewdness includes physical acts of villainy and wickedness. I love that. That just sounds amazing. It's a great definition. Sorcery. Um, when you look at the word sorcery in the Greek, it is pharmakeia. Is where, it is where we get the words pharmacy and pharmacist from. So it's implied heavily here that drug use, heavy drug use, and self-medicating is an act of the flesh. Which, I mean, you think about it, why do people get high? To feel good, right? So... Ain't no high like the most high, though. Outbursts of wrath. Have you guys ever held in your anger long enough and then had an outburst of just, like, getting it all out? How good does that feel, right? You shouldn't, you shouldn't take pride in that or say, or really, like, it's, you know, shameful to admit it feels good. But let's just be honest. It feels good when you got a moment like that, right? That's, that's lust of the flesh. Um, dissensions, murders, drunkenness and revelries, lust for power. It's there. Lust of the eyes is the second type of lust that's found. And it is defined as the temptation to look upon things that we shouldn't look upon or to have things that we shouldn't have. It is to cast our eyes upon something with desire or pleasure, even though God has told us not to look upon those things. It has to do more with our imaginations, thought life, and heart motives than acting upon anything physical. Excuse me. Coveting is a prime example of the lust of the eyes. To covet means to have a yearning or strong desire to have something that rightfully belongs to somebody else. That's not fair that he has a beautiful wife. I want her as mine. So I will sit in my head and lustfully think about her all day. Jesus said, if you've committed adultery in your heart, then you've already committed it in the flesh. So even the lust of your eyes ends up being lust of the flesh in the long run. Other examples of lust of the eyes include looking at pornography, design, another person's material, possessions, status, appearance, etc. Is the recognition that something sinful has visual appeal and then wanting it for the sake of its visual appeal. Envy and jealousy, idolatry, hatred and contentions, slander and gossip. These are all forms of lust of the eyes. In 1 John 2.16, there's another thing in that list, and it's called the pride of life. Um, (laughs) This verse talks about the pride of life, which can be an aspect of lust sometimes, because if you're dealing with pride, um, then you're not going to be able to fully give God rulership in your life. And if God isn't ruling your life, then you won't trust Him to satisfy you. And the whole point of lust is that you don't trust anybody to satisfy you. Right? That's why you lust after things. Yep. Um... So here's the thing. That was a lot of information. Okay? There's a lot of things about lust. There's a lot of definitions. It's a lot of lot of stuff. Here's the thing. You might be fighting lust right now in your life and you might be wondering why you never seem to beat it. You're having trouble with lust because in your life because lust is always a fruit. It's never a root. I've yet to meet a person who dealt with a root of lust. Lust, from what I've seen, is always a byproduct of something else. Always. So if you're fighting lust, you're just shadow boxing. Remember earlier we read a verse about lust and it said flee sexual immorality? Flee lust. Don't keep looking at it. Run away. It's the only thing that you are obligated biblically to turn tail and run to. It is the only thing that you can say, well, 
kind of scared of that. Guess I'm going to run away. It's the only thing. It is the only sin. Everything else, if you've got something else you need to fight, dude, let's fight it. I will stand with you. I will punch that demon with you. If it is this one, I'm going to tell you to run away. Noah and I know a guy who <laughs> fell into this sin and he said, man, I've been fighting it and I've been fighting it and I've been fighting it. And you know what we kept telling him? Run away. And he said, no, man, i got to fight it. I'm going to beat it. And I said, that's not what scripture says. Amen. This man ended up falling out of his relationship with the Lord, falling into all kinds of sexual immorality with this woman. And this woman even convinced him to start using drugs. It's not okay. Right? So let's talk about roots to lust. Bitterness towards God, self, and others. Bitterness can be a root of lust because when we make a bitter root judgment, then we bind ourselves to the tragedy that made us bitter in the first place. Because of this, we begin to seek a person or persons to take our bitterness out on. If a girl breaks up with me and I become bitter, I might find other girls that emulate her in some way, shape, or form to have sex with them as revenge. This can be applied to parents, too. Have you ever heard the saying, you're always going to marry your mother? Or, or a woman will always marry her father? Yes. Why is that? There's a positive side to that, okay? There, there is. If, if the father and the mother are Amen. godly and in yep. godly relationships. However, Amen. the negative side of that is you've become so bitter towards your parents, you look for somebody exactly like them so you can take out revenge over and over again whether you realize it or not. It is a spirit of bitterness living, bitterness living out within you. Mommy and daddy issues are a real thing and oftentimes are the reasons why we are attracted to people who remind us of our parents. Within the confines of this bitterness is unforgiveness, resentment, retaliation, anger and wrath, hatred, violence, and murder. Murder includes premeditated murder, which is thinking about murder in your imagination all the time. It also includes murder of the heart, or murder, murder with the tongue. And murder of the tongue includes gossip, slander, speaking negatively about people. Right? This has been a big one in my life, like dealing with lust, is self-pity. Mm-hmm. Self-pity is a huge contributor to lust. Mm-hmm. Because self-pity is a place where you dwell on your own sorrows, griefs, and misfortunes. And it keeps you bound to your past so you can't overcome it. It is a victim of events and is deserving of condolences. So when I fall into self-pity, I feel like I'm deserving of condolences. Somebody needs to feel sorry for me. And you know what's great when you're feeling sorry for yourself? porn. Because what happens after you're done with porn? You feel worse. Right? Yep. When self-pity is active through me, it is the end of life's usefulness and it is the beginning of hell on earth. It isolates you and takes away your ability to choose and leaves you feeling powerless. That is why when lust is active through me and, and I go to a major brain fart and feel like I'm not in control of my life and then I go watch pornography, that's self-pity. Mm. It's made me numb. Mm. Rejection. Oh. Oftentimes, because we feel powerless and because we don't feel good enough... Because we're stuck in our own self-pity, we will flock to bad relationships and, and 
even enough pornography to give us a euphoric sense of being good enough. But these feelings are fleeting and only last a moment. That's what I wanted to say. Rejection. Oftentimes we fall into lust because we feel rejected by the opposite, opposite sex. Sometimes we fall into lust because we are even scared of being rejected again. And when we hit that place of intimacy through lust, it becomes a fix, a fleeting feeling that, all, that will always... That, look at that. A fleeting feeling that we always have to go back to in order to feel loved and accepted. Amen. Yep. Joshua 1.9 says, um, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Lord says that to Joshua. So you don't need to feel rejected, right? Uh, abandonment and fear of abandonment is a big issue when it comes to lust. Um, oftentimes it's really partnered with, with rejection and uh, feeling just a need to be loved. Um, it's a big deal. So... When we have a spirit of abandonment on us, we'll always return to lust because it becomes an addiction. Uh, Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Again, Amen. so that's great. An unclean and unloving spirit. When the unloving spirit hits you, you feel worthless and unloved. Because of this, lust will come in and tempt you to, to give in. We give in to lust when we feel like we're not good enough to receive love. And when we feel second best or... We deserve to be punished. Oftentimes, the unloving spirit can lead to the need to be loved. We crave the love of another because we can't seem to love ourselves. Because of this, we can't start. Because of this, we can start to feel unclean. The unclean spirit can be linked to a spirit of infirmity and oftentimes STDs. It can be linked to not just lust, but a spirit of perversion as well. So, when we're talking about an unclean and an unloving spirit. This is, this is a huge thing when it comes to lust because this creates byproducts like fetishes and kinks that God never intended us to have. This uh, creates things like, have you ever gone to hug somebody and no matter how much you want to love them, whenever you touch them, whenever they touch you, they just feel really dirty and you don't want to touch them and you don't know why? That's an unclean and an unloving spirit. Have you ever felt that way about yourself? That is an unclean and unloving and and unloving spirit. Um, again, this spirit is huge when it comes to STDs. And oftentimes the people who get STDs are the same type of people who don't know how to love themselves, so they seek other people to love them, and that's why they keep having sexual relationships. Envy and jealousy turns into coveting. We already talked about that. Uh, Proverbs, if you want frame of reference for that, Proverbs 5, verses 15 through 20. Um... A spirit of addiction, which is closely related to an unloving spirit. Uh, every addiction and spirit of addiction is rooted in the unloving spirit, including the addiction to lust. Because we have a need to be loved. And if we don't let the, love, yep. the Lord love us, then we'll never get rid of it. Uh, scripture for that is 1 Corinthians 10, verses 13 through 14. Here's another big contributing factor in my life when it comes to lust. And I'm going to start wrapping this up. Is fear. Fear is huge. Lust can develop, can develop a hold in our lives through many different fears, anxieties, and stresses. But perfect love casts out all fear. Right? Fear of man, including their opinions and facial expressions. I've met people who will say yes to having sex with a man because that man disapproves of them. 
you disapprove of me the same way my father disapproved of me, so now I'm sexually attracted to you, and I want to make sure you're pleased with me, so I will do whatever I need to. That's weird, right? But as I'm saying this, I'm sure you can think of people that you've known in your life that do these things. Mm-hmm. This is this real life. I'm not going to shy away from this. Yeah. The fear of not being loved, the fear of rejection, strife is a huge factor when it comes to fear and stress and anxiety. Oftentimes people fall into so much stress because of strife with others throughout the day that we feel like a little bit of pornography and a little bit of a masturbation session is just what we need to de-stress. Although we de-stress for a little while, we don't stay distressed. Yeah. Right? 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all of your cares on the Lord, for He cares for you. You don't get de-stressed by watching pornography and masturbating. You get de-stressed by getting into your prayer closet. Amen. Fear of not being good enough is a big one. Fear of not falling in love. Fear of not being in a relationship. Fear of not getting attention. Fear of commitment. Fear of not having sex. Fear of abandonment. Fear of emotional intimacy and fear of physical intimacy. All of these things can lead to a massive spirit of lust in your life because lust will use these fears to drive you deeper into a sexually immoral relationship with someone so that you constantly get high off of their love for you and you never have to deal with the things that the Lord wants you to deal with in your own life. Occultism. There is a strange link between the occult and lust. We commit spiritual adultery when we lust after idols, right? That's why we're not supposed to have any idol before the Lord. But sometimes the reason why we give in to lust is because we are actually worshiping the body of those we're lusting after. Female worship was a part of Babylonian culture and the, and the worship of the male body was prominent in both the Greek and Roman cultures. Um, and that's why homosexuality on both sides of the spectrum were such big things in those cultures. But those are the same cultures that the Lord said, don't be like them. Don't do that stuff. Uh, and when you study out these cultures, they actually had gods and goddesses that would form sex cults around these deities. They would worship through their sex and through orgies and stuff like that. Again, something that the Lord warns against. Um, Ungodly order in the home is a huge root for people when it comes to lust. Because of ungodly order in the home, there is some sort... uh, Because of ungodly order in the home, there's some sort of abuse, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual. And since children don't see or know the correct way to have a relationship with either a husband or, or, or a wife, it creates strife. Strife becomes the norm in the home and in the mind of the child rather than anomaly. Rather than the anomaly. Um, ungodly order is physical abuse, such as, uh, and it can be sexual in nature or an actual beating from a parent or a spouse. Like if you watch your parents beat each other up, that's ungodly order in the home. Emotional abuse is ungodly order in the home. Mental abuse, um, which can actually come in the form of uh, manipulative sexual mind games or the degrading of another person with your words in order to get what you want. Um, Spiritual abuse, 
occurs when the husband and the wife step out of their God-given identities. The husband needs to be the king and the priest of the household and the needs and needs to be treating his wife like a queen. Yeah. He yeah. needs to love his wife like she deserves to be loved and to protect and to provide for her. If the husband isn't doing these things, it also creates ungodly order. He needs to lead and stop being passive about who God has called him to be, what God calls him to be, and how God calls him to treat others. He needs to die for the wife the way that Jesus died for the church. The wife must submit to him like the church submits to Christ. She needs to stop trying to control things and actually allow the husband to step up. Amen. If you want frame of reference for that, uh, Ephesians 5, 22-33, and 1 Corinthians 11. So in case I haven't stepped on your toes enough and you're wondering if you really suffer from lust, let me tell you, the fruits of lust include guilt, which are feelings... Feeling as if you failed and associating failure with yourself. Shame. Uh, feeling as if you are a failure and losing your identity to it. Condemnation, which is defined as a sentence of disapproval and punishment as a byproduct for the guilt and shame. So anytime you have to punish yourself for something that you've done, you're condemning yourself. But therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Right? Here we go. Homosexuality is a fruit of lust. Gender confusion is a fruit of lust. Um, Gender identity disorder is the formal diagnosis used by psychologists and physicians to to describe people who experience significant dysphoria or distress with the sex and gender that they were assigned at birth. Um, That's another tangent. We're not going to get into that. Just going to keep pushing forward. Uh, Perversion. Sexual perversions are conditions in which sexual excitement or orgasm is associated with acts or imagery that are considered unusual within the culture. To avoid problems associated with the stigmatization of labels, the neutral term uh, paraphilia, derived from the Greek words, Greek word roots meaning alongside of and love, is used to describe that which is called sexual perversions. So, alongside of love is what a sexual perversion is. A paraphilia is a condition in which the person's sexual arousal and gratification depend on a fantasy theme of an unusual situation or object that becomes the principal focus of sexual behavior. Some of these include uh, exhibitionism or the exposure of genitals. You know those guys who just love to wear trench coats and run around naked and flash people? That's how they get their rocks off. That's weird. Yeah. That's a fetish. Dang. Or the Blink-182 music video. Or just a lot of punk-punk music videos. It's weird. Oh my god. Uh, fetish- fetishism. Or the use of non-living objects. They get your rocks off. Um... Frotuism, I don't know how to pronounce that, but basically it dis- uh, that word is used to describe the touching and rubbing against a non-consenting person. So, right. Um, pedophilia, or the focus on pre-pubescent children. Sexual mac- masochism, or the receiving of humiliation or suffering during sex acts. Sexual sadism, or the inflicting of humiliation or suffering. Um... 
transvestic fetishism or cross-dressing, voyeurism, um, which is used to describe the watching of others engage in undressing or sexual activity. So if you've ever watched pornography, you're really into that last one. Pornography, fornication, adultery. Complacency and passivity is also a root of lust um, and sometimes can be a fruit of lust uh, and hopelessness. Right? Wow. So, it's a lot. It's a lot, right? 123. All right, I f- remember I, f- I spent the first 10 minutes talking, so the next 10 minutes. We're going to get through this. I'm at the last section. Getting free from lust, all right? Here's the good part. Here's here's where we feel good. It's something that's not this. Yeah. (laughs) Lit list. I almost said list. Lust is the one sin in the Bible that we are told to run from. We aren't told to contend with it or to pray about it. We are told to run. Um, let's go to Proverbs 7, verses 1 through 5. Actually, I'm going to hand out Bible verses. Raise your hand if you want to read for me. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Alright, I'm going to read this first one just because I already said I would. But, keep your hands up if you want to read so I can see you as I flip to my page. Uh, Noah. Go to 2 Timothy 2.22. Joey, go to 1 Corinthians 6.18. Elliot, go to 1 Thessalonians 4.3-5. Ariel, go to Matthew 19, verses 11-12. through 12. Um, Anybody else want to read? Alright, I'll give another round out in a second. So Proverbs 7 verses 1 through 5 says, My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live and my law as an apple of your eye. Bind them upon your fingers. Write them upon the table of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your kinswoman. That they may keep you from the strange woman, from the stranger which flatters with her words. The word strange woman there, if you study it in the Hebrew, means adulteress. So one who would tempt you into sexual immorality. So how do you stay away from lust? You bind the words of the Father to your soul. And then you realize that the Bible says, run away from her. So when you see her coming... You turn tail and you run. (laughs) Right? And you might be saying, well, that didn't explicitly say that. All right, well, just hold on a second. Uh, Noah, read 2 Timothy 2.22 for me, please. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord out of pure heart. Flee what? Also youthful lusts. Flee youthful lusts. Well, let's be honest. When you're youthful... And your hormones are raging as a teenager. What are you thinking about? Sex. Yeah. Yeah. What does the Bible say to do when that happens? Run Run away. Mm. One verse isn't enough for you? All right. That's fine. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Joey, will you read that for me? 1 Corinthians 
6.18 says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. What are we running away from there? Sexual immorality. Huh. Wow. Alright, let's be honest for a second. How many of you guys, when you realized that you lust was an issue, how many of you guys tried to fight it? Raise your hand. How many of you guys failed miserably every time you tried to fight it? Raise your hand. How many of you guys ran away from it? Or ever tried to run away from it when it came to you? You didn't try to fight it. You, you, you went and you did something else. Oh, yeah. Eventually. Oh, yeah. Eventually, right? Yeah. Right? All right. Now, when you ran away from it and you went and did some of something else, how many of you guys succeeded? Yeah. Weird how that happens, right? It's like, it's like the father knew. It's like dad knew what was going to happen, right? What, what's that verse in uh, 1 Corinthians where it says that uh, every temptation that a man might be tempted with, the Lord's also been tempted with and always provides a way of escape? Yeah. Huh. How do you escape lust? You run away from it. Jesus said that in the crowd of two or three witnesses that God's will will be made manifest on the earth. Here we see three examples in Proverbs 7, in 2 Timothy 2, and in 1 Corinthians 6, where God reminds us that we need to run from lust. Mm -hmm. This means His will for lust in our lives is that we would run away from it, not try to fight it. There was a girl that I dated for a little while. Um, One of the first, like, real godly relationships that that I'd ever really had in my walk with the Lord. And I took to these verses so much that there would be nights where I would drop her home and I would walk her up to her, her door and we would have this like, you could cut the tension with a knife and it was like the perfect moment to like, you know, um, kiss her or to like say something romantic or whatever. And there were even times where, um, cause we, we stayed like very pure. We, we only ever really like held hands and cuddled. We, we didn't go beyond that. We never kissed. We never did anything like that. And, and there were a couple times where she would try to sit on my lap and I would get ultra uncomfortable. And I would say, oh my God, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And he would always say, you have to pee. And I would always be like, what do you mean I have to pee? And he was like, your, ba- your bladder is full now. Go pee. And I would go, oh my God, my bladder is full. I got to pee. <laughs> and for some reason, whenever something really awkward happens in my life and it's too awkward for me to handle and I have to kind of retreat for a second... Uh, the Lord's always like, remember, you have to pee. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to pee. I gotta go. I gotta get out of here. And by the time I get to the bathroom and I start having a conversation with them, you know, unzip my pants and it's just, you hear the stream and it's like, this is great. I'm glad you make me pee on command. This is awesome. Um, you know, but there, there were times in, in the relationship that I had with this, this, uh, woman that, um, you, you cut the tension with a knife and, but I, I held to these verses so much, and there, there were times where like we would make on contact, and it would be like, man, this is the perfect time, this is the perfect time, this is the perfect time. But I always told the Lord that I, I never wanted to kiss a girl ever again until I knew she was going to be my wife. And like, Kate and I kissed um, before you know, we got married and stuff, while we were dating, because I just, I just knew, I just knew that I knew that I knew. But, um, but uh, so we would have these moments, and then the Lord would be like, you got to go. And I remember that just one time where like, 
we were standing close and we were hugging goodbye and she pulled away and then I was like, the Lord told me, you gotta go because I knew, you know, like, mm-hmm. and he knew and I was like, alright, I gotta go, bye, and just like, left. <laughs> Nothing romantic, didn't say anything else, I was just like, man, I gotta get out of here. Got my car, turned the worship music on full blast, drove home, like, speeding down the highway, I just, I wasn't about it, wasn't gonna do it, you know, mm-hmm. like, just, yeah. um, so, I encourage you guys, Maybe don't be exactly like me because maybe the Lord's not going to have you like fill up your bladder when things like that happen. But be aware. He might do something. Maybe you got to poop. Maybe you got to take a phone call. Maybe there's a text message. Like, I don't know. Like, but be aware, you know. Um, number two, know God's sexual, know, <laughs> know God's will for your sexual life. Uh, there, um, you were meant for one spouse. Okay. You are meant for one spouse if you are meant for a marriage. Mm. One of the hardest truths that we will ever have to face about the Bible is that God did not promise that everyone on the earth will have a spouse. Amen. Uh oh. Yeah. Paul didn't. Uh-oh. Right? Paul had a special grace. He didn't need a spouse. And that's not to deter you from praying for your spouse. Like, if you want the perfect person for you, like, pray for that person, mm-hmm. that God would set you guys up, you know, yada, 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 which means to know, and actually in Hebrew, yada does, so, you know, you know, you know, is what I'm saying, like, pray for them, but if God hasn't called you to have a spouse, don't be discouraged, because the Bible says those who don't have spouses have bet the Lord has better plans for you. Mm-hmm. Paul Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, he's like, look, this is not the Lord's will for your life because I don't know what the Lord has for your life when it comes to sexual relationships. However, I would prefer it if almost everyone stayed single because singleness allows you to do more for the Lord because you're not hindered by having yeah. to support somebody. Yeah. You're not hindered by having children. Mm-hmm. Not that children should be considered a hindrance in and of themselves. That's not what he was saying. He's just, you know, he was committed to doing the work of the ministry. Yep. Um, so unless you have a word from the Lord about your life and relationships don't assume that he will bring you a spouse um, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 3-5 through five. Oh. do you have that one? yes read that for me please um, but this is the will of God your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality that each of you should know how to possess his own vessels in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Sweet. So, you know, will of God for your life is that you would abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, Ariel, will you read Matthew nineteen eleven through 12 for me, please? But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this, saying, Save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. And there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Alright, so here's the thing in this verse. A eunuch is somebody who does not have sex. Alright, whether they spiritually cut the things off um, for the Lord and for the kingdom, right? Because the Lord doesn't like self-mutilation, so he's not going to be like, hey, go cut off your genitals. That's not what he's saying there. Uh, Jesus is saying that 
He was speaking about Paul. Paul did not do anything sexually after he was saved. Because he was a Pharisee, and Pharisees are required to be married, he was probably married at some point, but once she left, he did not go seeking somebody else. He, he spiritually became a eunuch so that he could serve the kingdom of God better. There are some people who are born missing or having dysfunctions with their genitals, and because of that, they can't have sex. This is why the verse says, those of you who are, there are some who are born from their mother's womb as eunuchs, right? And then there are some who become eunuchs because of their own free will. And for some reason, they just want to snip, snip. And I don't know why they would ever want to do that, because that's, I'm sure it's painful as all get out. But some people do it. And that's just the way it is. And because of that, you can't assume. Anyway, let's just, yeah, yeah, it's nuts, it's weird. So, you know, when it comes to lust, know God's will for your life, whether you're going to be a eunuch spiritually because he says, hey, you're not going to have anybody, or whether he says, hey, you're going to have the perfect person for you so that you can, you know, get down tonight or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Got to lighten up the mood, you know. Um. My wife is gone tonight, so nobody has to worry about that in my house. Um, (laughs) Identify the roots that are causing lust to manifest in your life. This is point number three. Examine where you are at and what's causing the fruit of lust and addiction to take hold in your life. This is big because we have to learn how to be vulnerable with ourselves. We, We can't just assume that all things have become new. Like 1 Corinthians 5 says that, um, modern day translations say that all things have become new. But in the original Greek and in the King James, it says are become new. As in are becoming new. As in you got saved and some things are new right now, other things are becoming new. Yeah. Why? Because according to 2 Corinthians in, first, in chapter 3, it says we move from glory to glory. In order for things to become new, you have to get real with yourself. You have to know what's going on and why you are the way that you are. And that takes examining your past. It takes getting specific and really asking the Holy Spirit to show you things. God isn't going to show you anything unless you want it. Yeah. All right? He's a gentleman. He's not going to violate your free will. And you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss. Right? That's what it says in James. So if you're not asking him to reveal these things to you, you're going to be stuck in the same cycle because he never will. Well, I won't say never will. Sometimes, you know, he pushes Paul off of a horse and blinds him. But that's that's an exception to the rule. That's not like a thing that happens all the time. Yeah. He, he wants us in a relationship with him, which is why he wants us to ask him. And to be honest, there are some things that I've asked the Lord about. And he's, he has told me that I wasn't ready yet. Yeah. And so I had to wait for years before I was ready to hear the truth about certain situations and, and yeah. face what was there. So... Um, if you're a man and you want to know more about that, Omer's a great person to talk to because he helped me face some of those things. Uh, just, just so you know. Um, I got one, two, three, four, five, six more Bible verses. Who wants to read for me? I need six people. Corinne, go to Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. Joey, go to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Uh, Ariel, go to Colossians 3, verse 5. Ryan, I'm going to pick on you. Go to Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5. And I'll read the last one. That's fine. First Thessalonians 5, 11. So, um, 
part of being real with yourself and identifying the roots is taking your thoughts captive. You have to make sure you're taking your thoughts captive. Lust is after your heart and not just your body. And if it will, and if it can get in to defile your heart, then you know that's when you really start losing the battle. So, Matthew five twenty-seven through thirty, Corinne, please. You shall have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks for a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of the body than for your whole body to be thrown out. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into Jesus is saying here that if your right hand or your eye is causing you to stumble, it is better that you would physically mutilate yourself than, you know. Be sexually immoral. I mean, that's a whole other sin entirely is mutilating yourself. But like, that's the that's the metaphor he paints. That's how bad this is in the kingdom of God. I'm not saying go pluck out your eyes or cut off your hands. That's not what I'm saying at all. Please, God, don't do that. I'm not endorsing that. However, I, I am asking you to take this seriously. Right? Examine your thought processes. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. Joey, will you read that for me? Thank you, Donald Trump. <laughs> Actually, read 4 through 6. Oh, 4 through 6. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Alright, so lust exalts itself over the knowledge of God, because the knowledge of God is that the perfect will of God is that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So what do you do with those thoughts? You take them captive. What do you do with those imaginations? You take them captive. Then what do you do? You revenge. You go into revenge mode and you say, I hate this thought. I hate this sin that just popped into my head. It may not be a sin yet, but it's definitely a temptation. And I'm going to run away from you because you're stupid. You know, another, another way someone uh, put it is taking every thought to trial. Yeah. Not yeah. every thought gets to land. Right. I that, love that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. And that's cool, too, because uh, the more you study out how the enemy works, he's very legalistic. So, like, a trial and judgment phase, like, that's great. Um, so, uh, I'm at one thirty of the actual teaching. We're going to finish this up. Uh, point number five is repent and get rid of all the roots. Once you've examined the roots, once you've been real with yourself, repent, renounce, remove, get rid of them. Keep in mind that sometimes we have to go through a process to get rid of the roots in our lives. Yeah. Don't expect lust to just leave. Amen. You have to be ready to go through the process and, and continue to run and resist when lust manifests. Colossians 3 verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil. What is it? Concupiscence. Passions. Okay, cool. And covetousness, which is idolatry. 
Yeah. Sometimes the King James has weird words. And honestly, they were way more intelligent about their words back then, so they're harder to pronounce and mean way more than we think that they do. So sometimes it's just really nice to be like, yeah, I know this word means passion. <laughs> so <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, be ready to fight. You know, the that verse says that you should... Um, Train your body, discipline your body, so that when these things pop up and come against you again, you do not give in to them. The final point that I want to make, and we'll end with this, is that you need to get accountability in your life. Due to the nature of lust, a lot of times it is hard, and almost, I say almost, because all things are possible with God, right? But it is almost impossible for us to find and fight it on our own. Find godly people that you can trust and open up to them and ask them to hold you accountable to the process that you are going through. Galatians 6, 1 through 5. That's a good thing we talked about uh, bearing each other's burdens a couple weeks ago. This is a big deal. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual will restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bearing bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone takes himself to be something, thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. But each one shall bear his own burden. Sweet. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you also, even as also you do. Sometimes the King James is Yoda. Um, talking backwards. So, lust. Big deal. Sexual immorality. Big deal. Big answer. Don't do it. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's a big deal. Um, I know that this was a lot. I know that we went, according to my recorder, we went an hour and 44 minutes. However, nine minutes of that was me exhorting you guys before this teaching. Um, So, an hour and 34 minutes is really, 35 minutes is what we went to, so it's okay. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to, Get out of here. Um, we're going to take authority over the spirit of lust tonight together. If you want to get rid of lust in your life, uh, we're going to do the thing that we always do. You're going to look up to the sky and look up to your father and make eye contact because he, you're the apple of his eye and he wants to be the apple of yours. Um, open your hands like you're going to receive a gift, man, because like, let's face it. Freedom is a gift. Deliverance is a gift, right? Um, I'm going to pray... Hopefully not a super long and drawn out prayer. You're going to say amen. If you agree with it. And if you don't agree with it or you don't want to get rid of lust, that's okay. You can keep it, I guess. I'm not going to force you to get rid of it if you don't want it. Um, We're going to do different but sessions. When we, get, <laughs> when we get to the end and the Lord's like, why didn't you get rid of this? Well, I won't be held accountable because I just taught you all about it. Um, So yeah, Dad, we just come before you right now in the name of Jesus and we thank you so much for what your word says about lust and sexual immorality. We repent, Lord. We recognize that lust has been a part of our lives. We recognize that it's rooted in something. And we just ask that you would start to reveal those roots to us. That you would teach us how to deal with ourselves and how to trust you. Um, That you would uncover these things. That we would be able to get rid of them together. Um, as a family, if need be. 
but I thank you that we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. And even though we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that doesn't mean that we worship each other's bodies because that's idolatry and that's weird. We, we want to worship you. We want to give everything that we, we have to you. Um, Lord, I just pray uh, just for for peace for people and peace of mind for people that when they're when they're running away from lust, Lord, when they're running away from sexual immorality, when they're running away from the adulteress. And I also just pray that you would begin to reveal just to everybody who's a part of this congregation and might be listening to this teaching, whether they are meant to have a spouse or not, so that they can make peace with that. And if they're meant to be a eunuch for you and your kingdom, I just pray that you would reveal that to them so they can make peace with that and they can learn how to overcome lust and and be sexually pure for the rest of their lives. Um, For those who do have a spouse coming, I pray that you would teach them how to be pure for that spouse, that they would be pure for you and that they would be able to give 100% of themselves to that spouse so that they weren't carrying, if they're a female, uh, that they wouldn't be carrying the DNA of other people around. And if they're a male, that they wouldn't... um, (laughs) Be stealing from it and taking something that isn't theirs. Um, I just pray for everyone in the room that has suffered with lust and given in. I pray for those who have not been pure, for those who have not, who have lost their identity or who have lost their virginity. Um, I pray, Lord, just as they repent of this lust, just as we're repenting of this lust, Lord, I pray if they if they uh, are not married yet. I just ask that you would, um, for the women in the room, that you would regrow their hymens so that covenant can be cut the right way. And for the, and for everyone in the room, I just pray against all unloving and unclean spirits. We break your hold in Jesus' name, and we say that we are pure, that we are clean. Um, yeah, we repent, renounce, and remove the spirits of lust and perversion. Um and idolatry of the human body, um, and even idolatry of sex itself, because our culture, today's culture, has caused us to idolize sex and think that it is the end-all, be-all, and it is not. It is a great thing. Sex in and of itself is a great thing. It is a God-given thing. It is a God-given idea. Your first commandments to Adam and Eve or that they should subdue the world and be fruitful and multiply. And the only way you can be fruitful and multiply is to have a lot of sex. And so we know that it's your idea. However, we don't want to agree with what the world has made it to be. You want covenant above sex. And if sex is ever outside of covenant and in lust, it's not from you. And so we just repent, remove, renounce and remove all of those things. Uh, Father, we ask for your forgiveness and we accept your forgiveness. We, we do this so that we can, we can overcome the humps of having trouble accepting your forgiveness right now. We just we thank you. I declare over everybody in the congregation, you are forgiven. The Lord wants you to know that you are forgiven. You have been made clean by the word spoken over you. And uh, I just pray if there's any miracles or healings that need to happen in, this, in, in the house tonight that have been caused by lust specifically with kidney issues and liver issues because Proverbs actually says that lust has an effect on those two areas of the body. Um, We speak healing to those areas right now. Holy Spirit, I thank you for being over top of people's stomachs and just warming them and making that connection and bringing about that healing right now in Jesus' name. And uh, yeah, Dad, we just thank you. We give you all the honor and glory and praise in Jesus' holy name. We pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.